Let's pray again. Lord, um, you know the burdens. You know that um, people have lost loved ones this week. Uh, others have serious medical issues and financial issues and relational issues. And Lord, we just come before your throne of grace, your throne of mercy, and um, we just lay that burden down. We ask uh, for your mercy. We ask for your love. Um, Lord, we can, we can come to you uh, with everything, with everything that's a burden and lay it at your feet. And uh, now, Lord, we, we ask for your Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear and hearts that believe. Um, Lord, as we studied w- with the youth this morning, may we not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. So Holy Spirit, do your work in us already. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, we covered all, well, I think I skipped a few little verses at the end of John 11, but now we're in John 12, all right? So we covered a whole chapter last week. I think it was 50-some-odd verses. And let me, let me show you where, where we are. Um, so in John's Gospel, um, several of the incidents have taken place uh, in Jerusalem, but there's a break in between each of them, and there's a break between 11 and 12. So just geographically, notice this is up here, up north, that's Nazareth, this is the Sea of Galilee, and if you've ever wondered, well, when Jesus goes from the Sea of Galilee or Nazareth, why doesn't he just go straight to Jerusalem? There is no straight to Jerusalem, right? There are mountains and hills. So usually what they would do is go either down the Mediterranean coast, which was flat, or down the Jordan River Valley, which was flat. And today, as Jesus enters into Bethany, he's coming down the Jordan River, which, by the way, that is the lowest place on earth. When you get to the Dead Sea, it's the lowest place on earth. And then... He went to Jericho, and then he has to make the climb from below sea level to on top of Jerusalem, which is a mountain, right? And right outside of uh, Jerusalem, here's Jerusalem, this is the Mount of Olives, this is Bethpage, a little suburb, right? That's the Elburn of... All right, that's Chicago, that's Elburn. And then this is Bethany, where he's going to stop. I guess that's the Maple Park. Okay? And that's where he goes. It says six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, of course. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So the rag she uses to wipe the feet, the dirty feet now 
full of very expensive perfume. The rag she uses is her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, if you do the math, a denarii is a day's wages, and uh, 300 denarii would be about a year's wages. So this jar of perfume was worth a year's wages. So what do you make in a year? I did a little Google search and asked, what's the average household income for Maple Park? You know what it is? Go ahead, shout it out. 75, 35? <laughs> I had sold. 90,000. 833. 90,000. Wow. You guys are doing all right out here. <laughs> so let's round it to 100, okay? Because that was a few years ago. Um, now, so it's 100,000. Now it's only worth about 50, but what, whatever, you know. Fill in, fill in your economic joke, all right? Um, so let's say $100,000 worth of perfume. And. Um, Judas says, why didn't we use it for the poor? And then John says, he said this, I should have shaved, right? <laughs> John says, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Right? So even back then, the poor are used for political gain. All right? So let's keep going. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Wow. Now, Judas is the one who gives voice uh, to what a lot of people in the room are thinking. In Matthew's Gospel, it says, and when the disciples saw it, saw this perfume incident, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? Right? Many believed that it was a waste. Mary believed it was not a waste. Judas believed it was a waste. What do you believe? Not about Mary's perfume, but about your perfume. What do you believe about your perfume? Whatever your perfume is. You know, all of us in this room are living on one of two trajectories. We're either on the Mary trajectory or the Judas trajectory. Jesus says of Mary's life, what a beautiful thing. Judas says of Mary's life, what a waste. And Jesus says of Judas's life here and for eternity, what a tragic waste. There's a lot going on here 
in this little story. Piper, who you've got a quote, right? Piper says this. Here's what, here's what we're to get out of this story. It's a beautiful thing when the worth of Jesus and the love of his followers match. When the value of his perfections and the intensity of our affections correspond. And it is not beautiful, but suicidal when they don't. So, so here's what we want to do. Let's look at Jesus' response here. And we'll break it into, of course, three points. They don't all begin with the same letter this week. You know, I can, I can only do so much before I'm exhausted. Last week was five points, same letter, all rhymed. This week you just get three points, okay? No rhyming, they don't begin with the same letter. But we're going to look at the defense. Jesus defends Mary. Then let's look at the anointing. Mary anoints Jesus. And then let's look at what, what he says about the poor which is a rather shocking statement. The poor you're going to always have, but you won't always have me. Okay? All right, so let's look at the defense. So after, after she pours the, the perfume on his feet, Judas objects, and Jesus said, leave her alone. You know, I stepped back and I asked, where else does Jesus go out of his way to verbally defend someone? To verbally defend someone's misunderstood actions. And I came up with three times. It's all women. And I think the case could be made that it's Mary every time. All right, let, let's... Let's look at them. All right? the, the first one here, uh, Jesus defends Mary against Judas. Judas's highest value is money. Mary's highest value is Jesus. Mary's trajectory leads to Jesus praising her, and it even leads to eternal glory. Let me read what Mark's gospel says. After Jesus defends Mary, he says this, Mark 14, 9, and truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Wow. You say, wait a minute, I thought the gospel was about Jesus. Not about anybody else, but Jesus says whenever this gospel is you know, fully proclaimed, Mary is going to be a part of the story. Why? Because Mary, really, more than anyone else, points to Jesus. He points to Mary because Mary points to Jesus saying, here's my prized possession, my life savings. Pours it out on Jesus and he defends her. Now, so her, her trajectory leads to praise and glory from Jesus. Judas's trajectory leads to despair and suicide and damnation. 
You know, not only does he steal from the church treasury, imagine that, he's the treasurer. And, and he would help himself to the church treasury. Not only does he steal from the church treasury, he betrays Jesus for 30 coins. Now, many times, a person at the end of their life, when they've wasted their life, they're given a flash of insight into what a horror their life has been before it ends. And that happened to Judas. What did he do with those 30 coins? And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. Which trajectory are you on? It's one or the other. Jesus defends Mary against Judas. Mary values Jesus over money. You know, I heard uh, a story, it was a Tim Keller story he told, of a family that uh, was a man and a, a woman, and they decided they would both work and live off of one income and give the rest to supporting ministry, church and missions and so forth. And um, the rest of the family, the extended family, thought this was so crazy, they all decided to get on airplanes and meet and have an intervention for what a waste of money this was. From the world's perspective, what a waste. From Jesus' perspective, what a beautiful thing. Right? So, um, back to the, the thought here. Jesus defends Mary here. Uh, he defends Mary in another place against her sister, Martha. Okay, remember, there's another time Jesus and the apostles are having dinner at Mary and Martha's house. And uh, it's time for Jesus to teach. And Martha's in the kitchen and she's busy and she's preparing the hors d'oeuvres and she's tossing the salad and she's doing Jewish food prep, whatever that is. Okay? And Mary says, God's in the house. I'm going to sit down and listen. And Martha blows a gasket. Right? Mary's highest value was Jesus. Martha's highest value when God's in the house was busyness. Now I'm going to let you struggle with, well, he got a meal out of it, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. how, how do we know when it's okay to, be, to do the busyness of life and not... you got to figure that out, but she got it wrong. But she thinks she's right. And she gets mad, okay, get this, not only at Mary, but at Jesus for letting Mary sit there. So, look at this. 
But Martha was distracted with much serving. And I think it, I'll add a little editorial comment with too much serving. You can, you can have too much serving. Okay? And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And you know you're a little too stressed out when you yell at Jesus. <laughs> right? So what does Jesus say? But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. What do you call that? De-escalating, dear? Bringing it, bringing the, bringing the tension down here. Martha, Martha. You're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. I mean, one thing now that God's in the house, sitting here ready to speak divine revelation, there's, your, your, your life ought to be ordered enough to realize that there's one place you need to be right now. You're here. You're here. Hopefully there are other people in gospel-proclaiming churches who, who've cleared their minds and they're focused in on the Word of God. And Jesus says, you're troubled and anxious about many things, but one thing is necessary. What's going to come out of my mouth? Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Martha, I'm defending... Mary, she's right. You're wrong. Mary has chosen the better portion. Right? I just read a report and sent it out to some people that our country right now, speaking of trajectory, the trajectory is this. In 50 years, there will be more nuns, I don't mean Catholic nuns, I mean nuns, those who have no religion, there will be more no religions in America than Christians. And the sad thing is, their highest value will simply be TV, TikTok, texting, and trivia. They're not switching religions. They're just choosing the busyness of life over Jesus. Right? So the second time Jesus defends Mary, first time against Judas, second time against Martha. Now, the third one is a little more, a little more controversial um, as to whether it is actually Mary or not. Earlier, in Luke's gospel, Jesus goes to a dinner again. And it's in the home of a Pharisee named Simon. And when you look at the story we looked at in, in John's gospel, and you compare that with Mark's account, it takes place in the home of a leper named Simon. So, these two accounts are both in Simon's house. Whether he's the same Simon or not, we don't know. But a woman comes in in this Luke passage 
with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, it never calls her Mary, but so, so some argue it is, some argue it isn't. I don't know that it's worth arguing over, okay? But Jesus defends this person. So here it is. Um, and behold, a woman of the city, we know what that means, who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought in an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Right. Now, everybody's watching this. It's kind of hard to avoid this strange thing going on. It's embarrassing. What is Simon thinking? Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, now, so this is the, the Simon the Pharisee thinking about Jesus. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. So, so he's thinking, this Jesus, he's not, he, he, he's, he's not stopping this embarrassment Obviously, he doesn't understand what kind of sinner this woman is. I think Simon's God is social appropriateness. He knows how to throw a dinner. He knows how to look good. He knows how to behave. He knows what's appropriate. He knows what's socially inappropriate. And she is socially inappropriate. And this is embarrassing and it's ruining my dinner party. So Jesus calls him out and defends her. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, that's interesting, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Praise. You gave me no kiss. The formal greeting back then was a kiss. Today it would be a hug or a hello or a handshake or something, right? You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. You know, and, and let, let me say this to the younger people because you're really susceptible to this. Um, just all the stress that you feel with fitting in on, on Twitter and uh, online accounts and what are people thinking of me. Some of you will waste your lives living to be socially appropriate. Socially accepted. And here's the reality. Being radically in love with Jesus doesn't mesh with the goal of having a socially appropriate life. Jesus praises the inappropriate one here. Okay? So, that's all. <laughs> that's all point one. The defense. Jesus defends her. Other points will be quicker. All right? Number two, the anointing. Now, the ESV 
puts it this way. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. So the idea with that wording would be she's using some now and keeping the rest for the burial later on. The uh, Holman Christian standard words it a little differently. She has kept it for the day of my burial. In other words, this is the day. Not, not the actual 24-hour period, but this is the time, because in six, six days, seven days, he'll have been put in the tomb. Right? Um, NIV. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. In other words, it's being used right now. Okay? Um, now, I'm not sure that even Mary, who's pouring the ointment, understands the full significance of her actions. Just like when Caiaphas last week says, don't you know it's better that one guy die than the whole nation die, that one guy die for the nation? And he, he didn't know what he was saying, but he was saying was theologically true. Substitutionary atonement, right? He didn't understand that. I don't know that she even understands the significance of her actions here, but Jesus turns her action into an anointing his body for burial. In other words, she points to him and he points to the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. He points to the atonement as the center of what's most important. The most important event in the history of the universe. God becomes man and is nailed to a cross in our place. That's why this anointing is worth a hundred thousand bucks. Okay. You know, the, the church in America is adrift. And you know, pe people can come up with, well, you need to do this program and do this here and, do, and move this and preach on this. There, there's all these Band-Aid fixes. The, the problem is when the cross is no longer the center of everything, you're going to drift. When, when you're not anchored on the cross... You're going to go off into politics and go off into this social issue and go off into programs and go off into, and it's going to crash. We need more Marys to point to Jesus, and Jesus points to the cross. What did the, the Apostle Paul say? I think, I think Paul gives us some, what, what do you, would you call it, the North Star? You know, the North Star is fixed. Here's the North Star. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't talk about anything else. He talked about marriage and so forth in, in Corinthians. But the center is Christ and Him crucified. In chapter 15, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is number one. You lose sight of this, you're going to drift. First importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins 
in accordance with the Scriptures. The death of Christ on the cross, that's the center. That he was buried. And guess what? Before he was buried, he was anointed. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So there was just a, a, a big research project done um, by Arizona Christian University, and they uh, surveyed pastors. And, and I realize how you ask the question and how you tabulate the answers is, I, I, I realize that it's all about how it is presented. But the conclusion was this. Only 37% of American pastors have a biblical worldview. Okay. Then let's narrow that from liberal pastors and uh, different to, to evangelical pastors, evangelical, gospel proclaiming, gospel believing pastors. Only two thirds get get this right. Two-thirds get this right, but one-third have shaky views on abortion, human sexual issues, and a third of them believe that good people can earn their way to heaven. Mary got it right. Jesus turned the anointing to his burial because that's the center. And now, to drive the point home, he says something very politically incorrect that would get him canceled on Twitter. He says about the poor, for the poor you'll always have with you, but you do not always have me. Whoa! Now, what's going on here? This is not disregard for the poor. Jesus and the scriptures are clear that we are to be generous to the poor. Psalm 41.1, blessed is the one who considers the poor. The generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. Jesus says to the rich young ruler, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Paul says to Timothy, be generous and ready to share. All right, so this is not Jesus disregarding the poor. It's Jesus simply acknowledging that what's about to happen is the most important thing in the universe. Even more important than feeding the poor? Yes, because you know what he's doing? He's dying for the poor and the rich and the sins of all who will believe in him so they won't go to hell for eternity. That's worth a hundred thousand bucks, don't you think? Right? So that does not mean go to Target. <laughs> though, though that is literally the Target logo. Okay. Um, here, here's what this whole lesson is 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 amounting to. Jesus is saying. Keep my death and resurrection in the center, church. Yeah, you can do other things. 
You can have bowling for beautiful you. You can have food pantry. You can have, you know, support this mission or that mission, right? But here is what happens. When you lose this, all you're left with is a social project. And that's where many are. Now, be, be careful that you don't go to this extreme where all you do is shout the gospel to the poor and dying all around you. Okay. The poor you will always have. Yep, poor you will always have. But you won't always have me. Therefore, she pours out the ointment. He defends her because it's the most important thing in the world. The cross. You know, every, every Easter we remember the triumphal entry, the Last Supper, the death, the burial, the resurrection. Maybe we should remember the anointing to remind us to trade in our idols and put Jesus at the center. Let's pray. Lord, it's shocking when you look at what Mary did and then you defend her. And we're all rebuked. Lord, I pray that you would put your death, burial, resurrection at the center of this church, of our hearts of our lives. May we value you more than money, more than social acceptance, more than busyness. Lord, do a, do a, a radical reorganizing in our hearts and our lives, and may you receive the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.